listening to a Clovis Hills podcast, you're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. Hey, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? All right. Hey, good morning to those of you at uh, Old Town right now that are watching. What's up to you guys? And uh, man, I don't have to say good morning to our online community. They're not watching live right now, so we can talk all kinds of trash about them if we want. I'm kidding. That's sin. Okay, don't do that. Um, actually, we have a special online service right now, and um, don't it, it? It's pretty cool. So one of the things we wanted to do was um, we're so glad people are coming back to church. By the way, the, thank you for being here. It's awesome. Um, but. For our online community, we wanted to bless them. So we, we ended up getting one of our former members here at Clovis Hills. Um, he's a, a Dove Award-winning uh, Christian contemporary artist. Jordan Feliz is leading worship for our online community right now. And some of you are like, that's not fair. We want him here. Well, he lives in Nashville, so that would be hard or expensive. Um, but he decided to lead worship. And uh, we went out and pre-taped it, and it was awesome. And then um, we decided we'd take this sermon... And um, this last week, we went to Denver to do an interview with Lee Strobel, which will air this summer for an online series we're doing called Veritas. But while we were in Denver, we were flying home. We had a layover in Vegas. So Daniel and I decided that we would uh, film the sermon walking down the Vegas Strip. So um, there's some interesting characters that might show up in that. I don't know if he edited them out or blurred them or whatever he's doing, but here's the good news. If you want to watch it, it's going to re-air tonight at seven o'clock. And uh, I would love, this is a great way that you can be the church, is if you do watch it, share it. Uh, We're shocked at people all over the world, all over the country that um, really are becoming part of what God is doing through Clovis Hills. Um, because you guys are just simply sharing things through your social network, and that's a great way of being the church, so it's good. Um, you know, this, this, we're doing this series called The Reset, and uh, Kelly and I, my wife, uh, we're, we're in a growth group on Friday nights, and we've, we've been part of this growth group, and our growth group has been going for, um, well, they were going before we got here, but they've been going for a while, and then there's seasons in our lives where we can't be part of it, or the group had to fold, but it gets back together, and it's just been this ongoing group that we've been part of on and off for the last nine years. And we were talking about this series, The Reset, and it's really interesting to see how people um, in, in different seasons of their life, different walks of their life, see this word reset. Yeah, because there's some people that have been, um, they're walking with the Lord, they're tracking, they're doing well, they're, they're really in a great relationship with God right now, and they're like, I don't really need a reset, I just need a refresh every day, right? And that's what your, their quiet time is, it's just a daily time with God. And for some people, it's in the car, for some people, it's, you know, a certain place in your house, it's in the morning, it's in the evening, whenever it is, they need a refresh. But then I talk to other people that are like, no, I've kind of wandered from God. I've, I've gone off the rails and I need a full reset. As a matter of fact, the virus has got me. I need a full, full reset and I need to get right with God and, 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 and move back into that place. And then you have everywhere in between. So they did a study a few years ago of uh, centennials. So a centennial is someone that's lived over 100 years. So they got this large group of centennials from uh, around the world, and they asked them this question. They said, if you 
could live your life over again, what would you do different? How would you do it differently? And what happened was um, they, they all had different answers, but um, the, the sociologists realized that all of their answers really fell into these three categories. There was three really core answers that every one of these people that lived over 100 years gave. And um, the, first, the first thing they, they, they all, it was a huge consensus, is that if they were to live that life over again, they would risk more in their life. They, they felt like they played it safe too many times in their life. And they, 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 they would have taken more risks in their life. And, you know, risk is different for everyone. I know, I have a friend that doesn't like risk at all. And I'm kind of a bungee jumping, pinto driving kind of risk taker. Like, so it, it, it looks different. But every one of these people in their own context thought they would risk more. The other thing they would do is they would embrace the moment that they're in that they let huge moments of their life just fly by them and they never soaked it in. Um, when I do weddings, I always tell the bride and the groom, um, I don't care how shy they are, uh, it, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, they're always facing each other, giving, you know, goo-goo eyes at each other. And um, I always tell them, hey, I'm gonna have you turn and face the crowd right now and I want you to take a mental picture of this moment. I want you to look at all the people in the crowd. I want you to really soak that in your mind and be fully present. And you know, some people are like, oh, that's terrible. Well, here's why I do it. And I tell them this before the wedding is, listen, 20, 30 years from now, your photographer, well, right away, your photographer is gonna give you 8,372 digital photos of you. 30 years from now, it's gonna be lost on a hard drive somewhere. And the one you're gonna have when you're old and gray is that one right there. Take this moment in and be fully present and be fully alive. And this is what these centennials talked about, that they would have embraced the moments they were in more. The third thing is that they would have done something in their life that left a more lasting impact a more lasting impact upon their life. I went to a memorial service yesterday and um, I did not know this person, but I knew, I knew uh, some family members of the person who died. And one of the things um, I caught right away is this person uh, was not the CEO of a company and they were not a, a celebrity and they were not an influencer on Instagram. They were none of that, but they were more than that. They were more of an influencer because this woman really left this impact on this family, not just a nuclear family, like a couple kids and a husband, but generations of family. And generations of family are following Jesus and the family is, is you know, just like every family, it's got its own dysfunctions and whatnot, but the family loves each other and loved her and was really kind of centered around how God used this woman and her story. How she, she you know, came came to Christ and how she, she grew in Christ and she overcame trials in her life and she overcame decisions in her life and she overcame all kinds of things. And what they saw was she just kept looking more and more like Jesus and it transformed a family. See, the older I get, the more I realize my life, your life, our lives all tell a story. There is a story you're telling right now. And I'm not talking about the one you're trying to tell on social media. 
There is a story that our decisions and who we are and our character and all of that is telling. And at the end of our life, people will stand around and reflect on that story that that was told. And um, here's the thing. Our story, your story is gonna, it's being told about the good things that have happened in your life, the, the accomplishments that you've had in your life. But it's also talking about the hard things that you've had in your life and the hard things that have happened to you in, in, in your life. Um, your personal failures, the decisions you made that were failures and were embarrassing, the, um, uh, you know, your gifts, the, the, your talents, your tragic flaws. Believe it or not, every one of us in this room has a dark side, especially people in this room. It's telling you all the time. We all have a dark side. And all of that is telling this story of who you are. And sometimes we just need to ask the question, what kind of story do I want to tell? Because you are ridiculously in charge. You ever read a book or watch a movie about a story about someone that, you know, um, lived a really comfortable life and they never failed and they didn't risk much, but you know, they, they just kind of existed and they had a couple good meals and they went to a couple good vacations and they did a couple things. And no, you don't read books like that. You don't watch movies like that. Do you know why? Cause they're boring. They're not real. No one has that. We all have failures. We all have things that have happened to us. We all have things. What makes a great story? What makes something that we want to be part of? What makes something we want to watch, we want to hear is when we overcome things. When Rudy, who's five foot nothing and played for the University of Notre Dame, when we overcome things in our life, that is what makes a great story. The the divorce that could have taken you down, but it didn't. The sickness that could have taken you down. The traumatic event that could have taken you down. The, The decision you made that was terrible. The foolish things you did that could have taken you down. Somehow you rose above them. This is the story that God wants to tell of you. So, this is why in James chapter one, verse two through three. James, the brother of Jesus, he says this, and I, and, and I love it. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, right? That's a Greek word. I put it in the, in the text, it's Adelphoi. And uh, I know in the old King James version, it says brothers, but the literal Greek is brothers and sisters, all right? That's what the apostle Paul or James is trying to say. He says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, okay? Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many, many kind. And then, then, then it, says, it says this, um, which I love, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance in you. Um, So there's three things we're gonna talk about in the scripture today if you're taking notes. If you have your app, you can pull it out. You can look in there. If you take notes on paper, however you do it, that's great. But we're gonna talk about the joy, the trials, and the one who overcomes, okay? The joy, the trials, and the one who overcomes. So number one, the joy. What is the first line of this this text says? It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials. Consider it joy. What is joy? 
See, joy, many times we get joy and happiness mixed up. Uh, there was a band named Switchfoot and they had a line in their song that says happiness is a yuppie word. And, and it is because happiness comes and goes, right? Um, you could have a great meal and be happy. You could, uh, the Padres could have swept the Dodgers this weekend and I would have been happy. <laughs> they didn't. Dodgers. Right? You could have chocolate and be happy. You could, um, you know, there's things that bring you happiness, but happiness will come and go, just like sadness will come and go. No feeling you will ever have in your life is final. I want you to know that. No matter how down you are or how up you are, no feeling is final. And see, joy is something completely different because it transcends all of our feelings. And you can be sad and still have joy. And you can be upset and still have joy. You can be going through something really hard and really heavy and really tough, but you can have joy in the same way you can have joy while you're happy. It, it all works the same. But listen, you can also be sad and do happy things and still be sad, right? You know, sometimes we eat chocolate because we're sad and it doesn't make us happy. It just makes us heavy. <laughs> See, joy is like a raft, this is the way I, I like to describe it. And it keeps you afloat in the water. And if you think of the Merced River up in Yosemite, it takes you through, you through the valley of Yosemite and it's smooth and it's beautiful and you're on top of it and you can enjoy all of the beauty of life, all of the beauty of creation, all of that. You enjoy it. In the same way though, that raft, at some point, if you go down a river, you're going to hit rapids. And if you don't have the raft, you will sink. It will, the, the river will take you under. And see, life is the river and joy is the raft that keeps you afloat. It allows you to enjoy the good things in life and it allows you to get through the rapids because the rapids will come. In the words of the prophet Forrest Gump, it happens. And I love what Dallas Willard says about joy. This is a quote I want to read you. He says, joy is, the, is not the mere sensation of pleasure. It is a pervasive, constant, unending sense of well-being that flows from vision, peace, righteousness, and hope. So that when you're going through something, you still have a hope that no, no feeling is final. God will get me through this. God is enough. And then, then he says this, true joy is robust even including outright hilarity. We can experience the joy of being in God's kingdom even in the midst of suffering and loss. See, I think part of the problem sometimes for us is um, we mistake sadness and happiness as states of being. And some people, um, you don't have the ability to experience joy because You've never climbed on the raft. As a matter of fact, I, I, I know this, there, there are some people I know in, in life, and I've been this person before too, that, and, and it's a good measure if, to know if you have joy or not, is can you even enjoy things when it's good? Or are you always like, oh, the other shoe's gonna drop? When something's great, can you just embrace it and thank God for it and be in it and enjoy the moment? See, I think there's some of us, we're so driven, we're so purposeful, we're so like about success that we can't even enjoy when God has done something good in our life. You can't even enjoy when your kid hit the home run because it's like, get back in the batting cage, you need to hit 30 more. See, um, 
And if you can't find joy when things are going good, if you're always, it needs to be better, it needs to be better, I need more, I need more, I need more, you'll never find joy when it gets tough. You'll never find joy. Odds are life will take you down. Urban Meyer, who um, is one of the great all-time football coaches, unless you're a Michigan fan and you hate him, he's the devil, but... Um, he's won multiple national championships with uh, Utah, Florida State, and, um, and Ohio State. And um, in 2008, he won the national championship. And those were like the Tim Tebow years. I was like, you know, that was like the, he- the height of it. In 2008, he wins the national championship. He's at the height of his career. He's done it. He's conquered it all. He's on top. And as he, he tells the story, as he was walking from the field to the locker room after winning a national championship, this is all he's worked for his whole life, is to become a head coach of a national championship college team. As he's walking from the field to the locker room, he pulls his phone out and he's beginning his recruiting for the next season. He goes, I couldn't even enjoy the win. I was in the locker room. I gave the speech. Everyone's jumping up and down. I went right to the office and started calling recruits because I had to repeat this success. I had to have it again. I had to have it again. I had to have it again. You know, funny enough, Urban Meyer had to resign in 2009 because he had incredible health problems because he, he couldn't find joy in the good things in life, let alone when tough things happen. So I want to talk to you about the trials. Let's talk about the trials, number two. The Apostle Paul tells, um, you know, if you know the story of the Apostle Paul, he lived a pretty tough life, to be honest. He came from wealth. He um, went to the best schools there ever was at the time. Uh, he studied under the rabbi Gamaliel, who, you know, it'd be like going to Stanford or Harvard or the Fresno State University, um, you know, kind of thing. And um, he, he was a, in a place of privilege. He was one of the up and coming Pharisees of the day. He was, you know, like, it, he really was like this, this young guy that had the world by the tail. And then Jesus came along and ruined his life. Really, it changed him completely. He became this follower of Jesus. He was kicked out of the temple. He was kicked out of the synagogue. He went from city to city throughout the Roman Empire. He would go into these synagogues. He would tell the Jews about Jesus. A couple people would convert to Judaism. And then the synagogue leaders would either have him arrested, beaten, both thrown out of the city. And he'd leave these little churches in these cities. And he'd he'd go on to the next one. And his job was he made tents. He just, he made tents. He told people about Jesus. And then he usually got beaten up and jailed. And he died, actually, we see him as a guy that shaped all of Western history. But in his life, he would have died a very obscure person no one would have even known. As a matter of fact, we don't know how he died. But Paul... He always talked about how he, he, he would go to God and, and he was a regular person like you or I. He had this thing that he called a thorn in his flesh. And we don't know what it was. We don't know if it was a sin or, um, uh, you know, like a, an addiction or, um, you know, a sickness. But it was something he kept asking God to take away. And he had these struggles and he had this very tough life. And he told um, a church in Corinth in the book of 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4, verse 17, he's talking to them about their trials that they're going through. And uh, some of them were going through incredibly tough things. And he says this to them. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
our light and momentary troubles. I want you to understand something. If he would have said this in the 21st century in April of 2021, he would have got canceled. How dare you call my problem light and mo- Yeah, we would have all been offended. But, but here, here's the thing. Here's what he's trying to, to show these, these Christians. He's trying to show us. Is everything that we go through in this world, no matter how hard it is, in the light of eternity, he's just agreeing with James, in the light of eternity, God is going to undo all of that. He's going to use that to shape your character. He's going to use that to shape who you are for eternity. The things I go through today, the things my family goes through today, 10,000 years from now will go, oh, that was all for God's glory. That, as bad as it felt today, as glorious as it'll feel 10,000 years from now. Because you were made for eternity. Um, there was an article in the New Yorker recently, this woman named uh, Maria uh, Konnikova, not Kornikova, the tennis player, but Konnikova. And um, she wrote this piece on resiliency. And the thing about resiliency is, resiliency is hard to study because um, it, What if nothing bad ever happens to you? How do you study resiliency? And then how do you rate bad? Because what might be bad to you might be like <laughs> easy to someone else, right? But it's your pain, right? So you, you can't always do that either. As a matter of fact, I was praying for someone in the last service and they're like, oh, it's nothing like you're going through, but can you pray? And I was like, no, stop. This is a serious thing in your life. It's okay. You don't have to compare it to what other people are going through. But... She writes this, she said, if you're lucky enough to never experience any sort of adversity, we won't know how resilient you are if you're lucky enough to not experience adversity. She's cute, isn't that cute? Right? She goes on though. She says, it's only when you're faced with obstacles and stress and other environmental threats that resilience or the lack of it emerges. And then she goes on to explain that these threats can be... um, environmental, like a situation you're in, or psychological, something that, you know, maybe a situation you have and how you're processing it afterwards, right? Um, and I see this all the time, uh, especially when I, I was a pastor in Oceanside, um, and most of, a majority of my church were Marines. A lot of them were Marines. And uh, during that time, they were all coming home from Afghanistan and Iraq, doing two, three, sometimes four tours, um, and they were seeing things that were incredibly tough and incredibly hard and they're experiencing hardship and their wives are leaving them because they're gone all the time and they're cheating on their wives and there's all these bad decisions, all of this trauma, PTSD. And what I found to be incredibly fascinating and I didn't have an answer for is sometimes there would be the, the, these, these guys that went through really similar situations and for one, they were able to see it and as much as they hated it and they didn't never wanted to go through it. And as much as it hurt them and it was hurting them, they were able to somehow rise above it and find purpose in it, that it was shaping something in them and they had a hope. And then there were other ones that this very same thing, the very same thing they saw or experienced, it just took them down and it was wrecking their life. 
And it was causing them to make all kinds of terrible decisions in your life. And that, why was one so resilient and the other not? And you know, some people are like, oh, it's their family background. No, I, I would see people from great families and it would take them down. I'd see people from great families and they would rise above. I'd see people from terrible families, they'd rise above it. And I'd see people from great families. It was more than that. What was it? Well, there's a, there's a guy from uh, Columbia University. He's a psychologist and uh, his name is George Bananu, which that is the best name ever. I wish my last name was Bananu. Bananu, I just say it all the time. I'm Sean Bananu. Anyways, he's a clinical psychologist from Columbia. And um, he, he did a study on resilience. And one of the things he said, he said this, he said, do you, do, you conceptual, do you conceptualize an event that happens in your life as traumatic or as an opportunity to learn and grow? He said, there's a big, like the way you handle trials in your life, um, it starts here. And, it, and, and he coined this term, the potentially traumatic event. Because he believes every frightening event has the potential to be traumatic or not to the person experiencing it. Um, he said this, living through adversity may be endemic to your environment or an acute negative event, but it doesn't guarantee that you'll suffer going forward. What matters is whether adversity becomes traumatizing. And he goes on, and, and this article, this article, Kornikova, she talks about it. She says, frame adversity as a challenge and you become more flexible and able to deal with it, move on, learn from it and grow. It doesn't mean it goes away. It doesn't mean the challenge just, we want it, we want comfort. We want like, boom, make it go away. Make me happy, give me chocolate. But that's not what it means. When James says, consider it pure joy, when you face trials of many kinds, he says, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That God might be shaping something great in you. So I, I wanna talk to you about the one who perseveres, okay? The one who perseveres. So um, at the end of your life, what will be the story that you tell? What's the story that's gonna be told about your life? because you are ridiculously in charge of that. And will, he, will you be one who's, who's, who's overcome things and, and people were able to see Jesus in you? Or will you be one that the things took you down? That's, that's, the, that's the question. And um, I'm not saying it's gonna be easy. I'm not lightening it in any way, but I want you to know that the God wants to use what we go through to shape something in us. And... Um, Here's, here's what I want you, for, for many people, C.S. Lewis talked about this. I've been reading a lot of C.S. Lewis lately. And he talks about eternity. And for many, many of us that, are, that, that know Jesus, that have a relationship with God, we're gonna go to heaven. But listen, in this life, if you're not growing more like Jesus in love and patience, kindness, the fruits of the spirit, kind of that way, if those things aren't growing in you, like um, your initial experiences in heaven may be difficult. Because if you're saved, but you still struggle with bitterness and anger and discontent and all of those things, like that's just gonna keep growing in you over the years of your life. And when you go to meet God, you're gonna be full of that and it's gonna be a difficult place initially. But I think of this woman that um, was at the memorial yesterday for. You could tell where she was growing. 
So what's the story you'll tell? That your life was comfortable? You had some good meals, you went on a couple vacations, you had a cool car, you got a promotion. Yeah, I, I wanna be successful too. I'd love to like reach lots of people for Jesus and be the next Billy Graham. But listen, in a hundred years, no one's gonna care about me. Or that things that happened in your life took you down. Oh, he was never able to recover from that loss of a job or he was never the same person after that divorce or he was never, she was never the same person after that sickness or this or that. Is that the story you wanna tell? Charles Spurgeon was uh, one of the great preachers of all times. He lived in the 1800s. And um, he's known as the Prince of Preachers and had the, probably the largest church in, in the world at the time and just very successful. You know, we preachers are still quoting him. Um, but I don't know if you know this, as successful as he was, um, he suffered with uh, severe depression. It was a crippling depression. When you read his, his uh, journals, like the, he just was mired in it. But he wrote this, and I think this is powerful. It, it didn't mean his depression went away, but he was able to rise above it. And he, he said this, and I think this is great. And I think some of you need to hear this right now. I think this is from the Lord. Listen to what he says. He says, great hearts, great hearts can only be made by great troubles. Guys, great hearts can only be made by great troubles. This is what God is, wants to do in you. And then he says, the spade of trouble digs a reservoir of comfort deeper. And it makes room for, for the consolation that, that God in our troubles wants to, he's shaping something in us if we will allow him to. Because I wanna let you know something, troubles will happen whether, whether you want them to or not, but how will we respond? And see, my hope is at the end of my life is I'm known as an overcomer. That yeah, Sean had some character flaws, but God kept working on them and refining them. Yeah, Sean had a dark side, but God kept working on him and refining him. Yeah, Sean accomplished a few things along the way, but really, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about how he treated me, how he, how he responded to tough things. Those are the things I want my story to be told. Those are the things we want our story to be told. And here's what I want you to know. Some of you, there's things that are happening in your life and you're like, it's, it, it's too much. I'm not enough. I don't have enough. I can't handle this. Well, I'm gonna let you in on some good news. God is enough. God is enough. He is your portion. He is your banner. He has in Christ Jesus everything, every, every the riches of his grace. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul in, in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 19, when he was talking about that thorn, that thing he asked God three times to take and God would never take it away from him. He just kept struggling with it. Do you know what, he, do you know what God told him? God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. God is enough. That's the word I have for you today. Wherever you're at, he's enough.
Some of you, you don't know where you stand with God. And I want to encourage you, maybe, maybe today's the day you hit the reset button. So you can't be good enough to get to heaven. You can't, like membership at this church won't get you anything. Just here to give you good news. <laughs> you don't get a discount anywhere being a member of this church. Membership in any church won't get you anywhere. I am having a membership class at Old Town afterwards. I'd love for you to come to, but you won't get anything out of it except we're going to ask you to give. So listen, it's true. So you get something out of sacrificing, but the, the point, point I make is this, is that the, there's no way you can earn your way to heaven. The Bible says that sin has separated us from God, that we are eternally separated from God, that at the end of our life, we, because of my sin, I deserve hell. I deserve an eternity apart from God. And because of God and his love and his grace and his richness and his kindness, he loved you. He loves me so much that he sent Jesus, that Jesus came. He lived the sin-free life. He lived the perfect life. He dies a sacrifice for you. And the Bible says this, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, that you receive Jesus and you'll never be able to overcome your sin, but I'm gonna let you in on some good news. Jesus said this, he said this in John 16, He said, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. The rapids will come, but he says this, but take heart. I have overcome the world. God is enough for you. You just have to be brave enough to take hold of him. If you've never received Jesus before or you're not sure, I'm gonna encourage you to do that. We're gonna pray right now and I'm gonna ask you to do something brave afterwards, but let's just pray.